Good morning, it's good to see you all and I trust the Lord will bless us as we worship him together. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise from Sing Psalms, Psalm 96a on page 126 and we sing verses 1 to 10. We'll sing a new song to the Lord, sing praises to his name and his salvation day by day. Let all the earth proclaim his glory and his mighty deeds to every land declare how great and awesome is the Lord with him no gods compare. So we sing 96a page 126 verses 1 to 10. I'll sing a new song to the Lord.
Shall we come before the Lord in prayer? Tell every land the Lord is king. Established is the earth and cannot move. The Lord will judge the peoples in his truth. Ever blessed and eternal God, we thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to gather on this Lord's Day morning to sing your praises, to mingle our hearts and voices together in praise and in worship and in adoration of you, the one true and living God who created the heavens, who created the earth and all that is in it. We look out, O Lord, into the cosmos and it seems to be getting ever bigger as more and more distant galaxies are discovered as science advances. And yet, O Lord, these are all the results of your creative genius. For you are the amazing God who is greater than the sum total of all that you have created. And you created it for your glory. And we look out, O Lord, and you are indeed the God who is glorious and we will never truly appreciate the sheer magnitude of your glory, O Lord, this side of heaven. But we thank you, O Lord, that we can communicate with you. We thank you that you are not a God who has hidden himself away in some distant place, that we have to go on some long and arduous pilgrimage in order to meet you. For you have come into this world on many occasions. We read in the Old Testament of various theophanies where God came and spoke directly to his people. But we thank you most of all for the coming into this world of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the glorious Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who laid aside the glory and the adulation of the heavenly host and came into this world. He didn't just come into this world, but he came. He became what we are. He became a human being. He became a man, born of our bone and flesh of our flesh and blood coursing through his veins. And Lord, we thank you for all that is written about Jesus in the Gospels. We thank you that he came and did all that was prophesied of him in the Old Testament scriptures. And we thank you that most of all he was willing to lay down his life on the altar of the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you for that cast iron promise that you give us. The promises of the God who never breaks his word, who never goes back on his promises. The God who can be trusted, who is faithful in all that he does. And we pray, Lord, if we, we have not yet come to trust in Jesus, that you would give us that simple and childlike faith to, to, to believe in him, in the finished work that he did upon the cross. On the eve before he went to Calvary, he said he had finished the work that the Father had given him to do. And there on the cross, O oh Lord, after he had uh, suffered uh, in a way that we will never understand or imagine, he made that terrible cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at the end of that afternoon, he was able to make a triumphant cry. It is finished. And what was finished was the work of redemption, the work of salvation, a work to which we can add nothing, but to come by faith with empty hands and to reach out and to lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom to know is everlasting life. 
So Lord, we thank you that you have given us a word. We thank you, Lord, that we can read your word, that we can proclaim it, that we can meditate upon it. And as your word is read and preached throughout the world this Lord's day, may that word impact upon the hearts of many, because it is not mere words on paper, it is power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, writes Paul, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And we pray that this Lord's day many would be taken from the kingdom of darkness, that we'd be brought into the kingdom of light, and that they would see the Lord Jesus Christ in a new way and with new eyes. Him of whom the scripture says he is altogether lovely. Lovely indeed he is. Grant us, O Lord, a desire to know him, a desire to worship him, a desire to kneel before him and, and, and confess our every sin, knowing that he is faithful and just and will forgive us. We thank you for the encouragement that you give us in scripture. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Seek and you shall find that if there are any amongst us here today who are as yet strangers to your grace, and Lord, we ask that you would open their hearts just as you opened the heart of Lydia when she heard the preaching of your servants, Paul and Silas, all those centuries ago. So bless this congregation of your people. Remember them in these difficult times. Encourage them, O Lord, and build them up and help them, Lord, to look to Jesus and to Jesus alone, the author and finisher of our faith. So, Lord, be pleased to take away our many sins and and that for this short time together, Uh, that you would free us from all the distractions of the world, that the evil one would seek to draw our minds away from focusing on Jesus. May he fill our horizons for this short time together. May we not be contemplating the things that we're planning to do in the week ahead or which we've done in the week that's past. But may we focus on Jesus to the exclusion of all else. So hear and answer these prayers we ask. In Jesus' name and for his sake, taking away our every sin. Amen. (coughs) Now, boys and girls, somebody once asked me, where is heaven? And I had to say, I don't know. And they said, well, you're a minister, surely you know where heaven is. And I said, no, no, yes, I'm a minister, but I simply don't know where it is. And so they said to me, well, if you don't know where it is, how are you going to get there one day? Well, I'm going to tell you a story. When I was your age, I grew up a long, long way from here in a great city in England called London. And every year we went on our holidays to stay with my grandparents on the island of Lewis. And it was a long, long journey. And the journey started off at a great big railway station. And when we got there, it was much, much bigger than the station in Dingwall. It was much, much bigger than Inverness even, or Edinburgh. And there were so many different trains, and they were all going to different places to Manchester, to Birmingham, to Liverpool, to Glasgow, and to Fort William. And I didn't know which train to take. And if I'd got on the wrong train, I would have ended up someplace where I didn't know anybody, and nobody knew me, and I would have been lost. But I didn't need to worry, because my mum was with me, and she knew the way. And so we just followed her. That's good advice, isn't it? Follow mum, because mums always uh, know the way. 
And then when we, uh, the following day, we slept on the train and the following day we arrived at a place called Malig where we had to get a ferry boat going out to the island of Lewis. But there were lots of different boats going to different islands. And I didn't know which boat to get. And if I got on the wrong boat, I could have ended up in Sky or Mark or Ego, some other funny place where I didn't know anybody. And I'd have been lost. But I didn't need to worry. Why didn't I need to worry? Because my mum was with me and she knew the way. Well, that wasn't the end of the journey because eventually we got to Stornoway. But my grandparents lived 30 miles away on the other side of the island and there were all these buses that were lined up and waiting to take passengers to wherever they wanted to go. And I didn't know which bus to take. I could have ended up in some funny places like Ness or Bach or North Tolster or Harris or Lochs. We were going to Uig and I didn't know which bus was going to Uig. But my mother knew and more than that the driver was her cousin. And so that evening at 10 o'clock after traveling for almost 30 hours we arrived to a lovely warm welcome at my grandparents' house. Now what's that got to do with heaven? Well, one day I will hopefully go to heaven. And I don't know exactly where it is, but I don't need to worry. Because somebody will come from heaven and they will meet me and they will take me by the hand and they will lead me through the valley of the shadow, as it's called in the Bible, into their heavenly home. Now, who is that person? Could you tell me who that is? Who is going to come from heaven where they live and take me by the hand and lead me into their home. Who do you think that might be? You don't know? Well, it's Jesus, because that's where he is right now. He's in heaven. And the day will come when it is time for me to leave here and go to be with him forever. And if I'm trusting in Jesus, then I know that he will come to take me to be with him. And if you're trusting in Jesus, like so many of the adults here are, then you needn't worry about where heaven is because all that you need to know is that Jesus is there and if you're trusting in him, he will take you to be with him forever and forever. Because it says in the Bible, Jesus says, he doesn't say, I know the way. He says, I am the way. I am the way. And if we're trusting in Jesus, then we know that one day we will go to be with him forever. So thank you for listening. We sing now in uh, the Psalter, Psalm 86, and we sing verses 8 to uh, 13. O Lord, there is none among the gods that may with thee compare, and like the works which thou hast done, not any work is there. All nations whom thou made shall come and worship reverently before thy face, and thee, O Lord, thy name shall glorify. Psalm 86 on page 340. Verses 8 to 13.
reading this morning is from the Old Testament prophecy of Zephaniah. Zephaniah, a very short uh, book, three chapters, and you'll find it very near the end of the Old Testament. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and then Zephaniah. And uh, we read in chapter 3. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate. Without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed." For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies. Nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down. And none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord.
Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to that reading of his word. Shall we again come before the Lord in prayer? Eternal and blessed, ever blessed Lord, we thank you for the freedom we enjoy to read your word and to meditate upon it. And we thank you, O Lord, for it, that we have a word from the living God. Because we were singing in the first psalm of other so-called gods who are of wood and of stone, and they cannot speak, they cannot communicate. And yet those who worshipped them were held in fear and in superstition. And such was the way of our distant ancestors here in ancient Caledonia. And we thank you, Lord, that you sent your servants who came here bringing the gospel, the gospel of grace. And we thank you, Lord, how that gospel transforms Scotland. And yet we look around us in Scotland today, a dark and spiritually sin-sick nation, and we long, O oh Lord, that you would open wide the windows of heaven and pour out the dew of the Holy Spirit upon this land, for we have been foolish. We have forsaken you, the fountain of living water, and we have gone our own way, neglecting you and ignoring you. And Lord, we will surely pay the consequences for our waywardness. But we thank you that you are a God of mercy, a God of amazing grace. And we pray that you would have mercy upon us as a nation, that you would bring us, O Lord, to worship you once again. And we would be the nation of whom the psalmist writes, Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. And we know, Lord, that righteousness exalts a nation. And yet there is very little righteousness to be found in the United Kingdom of today. It is a nation of unrighteousness, a nation of spiritual darkness, a nation where that which is evil is applauded and that which is good is condemned. Forgive us, O Lord, for our waywardness and for our sinfulness. But we thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ there is a wonderful Saviour, a Saviour who will not turn away any who come to him. And we pray, Lord, that you would indeed Show your mercy this day to men and women and boys and girls from one end of the world to another. We thank you, O Lord, for the freedom that we enjoy and which so often we take for granted. But it was not always this way, even in Scotland. For many of our forefathers, O Lord, paid a high price simply for their desire to worship you and to proclaim your truths. And we do not know what the future holds, but we thank you that you are the one who is sovereign. You are the one who holds the future in your hand. And Lord, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, in North Korea, in Pakistan, in the Muslim world, parts of the world where to be a Christian is to be condemned as a second-class citizen, to be shunned, to be ostracized. We pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters that you would bless them and uphold them and strengthen them and be in the midst of them, O Lord, and strengthen them and help them to know, Heavenly Father, that you love them, love them so much that you sent your Son to die for them upon the cross. So, Lord, remember the congregation with all its various needs. Help them to look back in thankfulness at a long and, and uh, blessed ministry over the past 40 years or so. But help them to look forward to uh, the future, to the day when you will bring the man of your choice and settle him here. 
And we pray for your people that in the meantime that you would uphold them and that they would ever look to Christ, the author and finisher of their faith, and to look to him alone, he who is the head of the church. Lord, we just pray that you would remember any of the congregation whose hearts are heavy. Be with those who are mourning the passing of loved ones. Be with those who are anxious. Be with those who are troubled. Be with any whose lives have been turned upside down by addiction of one kind or another. Be with couples where love, which once flourished, seems to have grown cold. And we pray, Lord, that that love would be revived once again. We thank you, Lord, for marriage, the institution that, uh, that you created for man and woman to come and share their love together. And we thank you so much for the joy that we can find in that blessed relationship. Lord, we do pray for Fahi and Greta. Be with them. Uphold them. And may they know your will. May they know your peace. And uh, may they know your leading and guiding. So here and answer all these prayers and forgive us our many sins in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing now and sing Psalms. Psalm 48a, verses 8 to 14. As we have heard, so have we seen God's city will endure. The Lord Almighty evermore, his city keeps secure. We contemplate your steadfast love within your house, O God. For like your name, your praise extends through all the earth abroad. Psalm 48a, singing verses 8 to 14. As we have heard, so have we seen.
Let's turn back for a while to the passage of scripture we read in the prophecy of Zephaniah and chapter 3. And I'd like us to focus on verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. We live in a world that is full of religion and always has been since the very beginning of time. Uh, in television we often see great gatherings of people from other religions in different parts of the world. And one time earlier in the year uh, we saw huge numbers of Hindus, supposedly numbered over a million, gathered on the banks of the river Ganges, which river they believe to be uh, holy. And they were wearing white and they believed that by immersing themselves in the waters of the river Ganges that they would be cleansed of their sins. And every year Muslims observe the fast of Ramadan and uh, they're involved in the belief that by keeping the five pillars of Islam that God will be pleased with them and that they will gain merit in the eyes of God. And uh, Muslims are encouraged uh, at least once in their life to go on a pilgrimage to Mecca. And if you ever see a Muslim man wearing a white hat it's a sign that he has been on the Hajj to Mecca and he's entitled to be called Haji whatever his name is Haji Muhammad or Haji uh, uh, Ali and the, pilgrim, the pilgrims who go to Mecca wear white robes also because they believe that this is a sign of purity that they have been cleansed of their sins. Now John in his vision a revelation was transported to the very end of time and he saw in chapter 7 a multitude of men and women drawn from all the nations of the world and the number was so great that nobody could possibly uh, count them and it reminds us of the promise that God gave to Abraham that his descendants, not his physical descendants but his spiritual descendants would be like the stars in the night sky, so many that nobody could possibly uh, count them and like the grains of sand upon the seashore and the vision that John had uh, in heaven at the end of time the people he saw there were also wearing white but those uh, men and women those boys and girls they had not been washed clean by the water of some holy river even the river Jordan that their sins had been washed away by the blood of the Lamb the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world and without such blood-washed robes, it's simply impossible to gain entry into heaven. But trusting in Jesus and knowing that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, that's the key. That's the simple key that will unlock the door for heaven. In uh, Matthew chapter 22, there is a parable of a, a banquet. The king gave a banquet for his, uh, for his uh, son and uh, the people who were initially invited, the Jewish people, uh, by and large, they didn't want to come. But he told his servants to go out into the highways and byways of the world and to invite people in from every strata and level of society. And many came. And the king eventually turned up and he went in. He wanted to meet. He wanted to greet the people who had come to this great banquet. 
and we're told there that he saw a man who was not wearing the appropriate wedding garments and the king asked him he said friend wasn't being unfriendly to him he said friend how did you get in here without wedding garments and the man was speechless and so the king didn't simply show him the door but he told his servants to tie him up and to cast him into outer darkness where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth you see that man thought he could work his way to heaven by his own religiosity by his own good works Uh, he wanted to come in without trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and so in the world in which we live and there is and always has been religion but if you are a Christian here uh, today this afternoon then you have something far far better than mere religion you have a relationship you have a relationship with God himself a relationship that he has uh, brought about that he has instituted and that he jealously uh, guards we have a relationship with God and we have the wonderful privilege of being able to address him as as father he's our father I was uh, reading in the telegraph the other day um, the writer must have been the the one who comments on religious things he was speaking of a bishop an Anglican bishop down south who said that a lot of people have problems addressing God as a father because of their own experiences when they were young but we must remember that the God whom we worship and the God whom we address as our father who art in heaven is not like a father he is the ultimate father that we who are fathers should seek to uh, emulate we have uh, a father in heaven and we have a personal relationship with that father we, we we know him because of his son all the language involved in christianity speaks of something far far superior to mere religion religion is ritual religion is going through the same ritual time and time again and we feel guilty if we uh, omit to have done something we feel guilty if we sort of forgot to do something but we don't need to that we 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 can worship god we can we can he's a prayer away from every one of us he knows us he loves us we are his children if we uh, be, belong to him and this verse here verse 17 it speaks of that relationship and it tells us here that it is god himself who is a, who is the a, the architect the, the one who has taken the initiative here he says the Lord your God is in your midst the mighty one who will save it's he who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you by his love he will exalt over you with loud singing and then again in verse 18 I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival in verse 19 I will deal with all your oppressors I will save the lame it's all to do with what God has done for us not what we have done eh, for him and it's a reminder that all that we have eh, in Christ Jesus is all by grace it is by grace and by grace alone this is eternal life says Jesus that you mean that they may know you God the Father that is the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have uh, sent and in Ephesians chapter 2 it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by work so that no one can boast 
And the God whom we worship today is a covenant-keeping God, a God who entered into covenant with his people on a number of different occasions at different times that we read of in the Old Testament. And it speaks of God's commitment to us. God has committed himself to a people. But before we look at this particular verse, I just want us to look briefly at the background who was Zephaniah? Well, we know virtually nothing about Zephaniah, but at the very beginning of the prophecy, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, which possibly means that his great-grandfather came from Cush in Egypt, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. And if that is Hezekiah the king, it means that Zephaniah uh, was related to the royal family. He was able to go in and out of the royal palace. And this was a prophecy that he made in the days of Josiah the king. Josiah is a very interesting person because he came uh, to the throne at the tender age of eight years of age. Can you imagine being king over the United Kingdom at eight years of age. Charles has just been made king, and uh, I think he's just a wee bit younger than myself. I'm not going to say what that is. Uh, but imagine becoming king at the tender age of eight. And that's how it was for a Josiah. He was the grandson of Manasseh, a king who did very wicked things, but a king we believe, as we read in, in uh, Chronicles, he repented of the wrongs that he had done. And this young man, when he had been on the throne for eight years, he set about to restore true religion, if I can use that term, in the nation of Judah. The temple had fallen into disrepair. The Passover had not been properly held for many, many years. And while the workmen were in the temple, while they were seeking to restore it, they came across a book. They came across the law of Moses. And they brought it to the king and they read it in his presence. And he tore his robes because he realized why God had been so angry with the nation of Judah. It's because they had not honored God. They had not kept his law. They had not obeyed him as they should have done. And so he set about to reform the nation of Judah. All the idols he had destroyed, all the... Anything to do with false religion, he had it done away with. And they finally held the Passover for the first time in many, many generations. And hundreds, if not thousands, of animals were sacrificed on that occasion. And so that's simply a bit of the background to this man uh, Zephaniah who prophesied during the time of uh, Josiah and in this particular prophecy in the first two chapters it speaks of terrible judgments judgments against Judah because of their unfaithfulness judgments against uh, the entire world we see earlier on a judgment against the Philistines the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Cushites and Assyria judgments against the ungodly nations of the time but he's also speaking about judgment against Judah judgment against the Lord's people because of their unfaithfulness but then he finally uh, hones in here on the fact that God always has a remnant we don't know which way the United Kingdom is going although it does seem pretty obvious at times 
But God will always maintain a remnant of men and women who are faithful uh, to him. And so we read here uh, about uh, what God declares that he will do uh, for his people, for his uh, remnant. And there's three things I want us to look at uh, this morning. First of all, there is God's presence. The Lord your God is in your midst. Secondly, there is God's power. He is mighty to save, a mighty one who will save. And thirdly, there is God's pleasure. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And first of all, God's presence. God's presence with his people. Centuries before the time of Zephaniah, a God appeared to a Joshua. The mantle of leadership had passed to Joshua after the death of Moses. And this man must have been afraid. He must have been nervous. Did he, it, would he be able to lead this mighty people at a point in their history where they were about to invade a foreign land, a land that was filled with militant peoples, a land where they might get swallowed up and lost forever. And so the Lord came and made a promise to Joshua that just as he had been with Moses, so that he would be with him also. Do not be terrified, we read in Joshua chapter 1. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And the same promise is repeated here in uh, verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst and you shall never again fear evil. And the promise that God gave to Joshua and that he gives to so many individuals throughout Scripture is a promise for you and I also. Because when we come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is with us. He doesn't just come by on the odd occasion to see how we're getting on. He's with us for the journey. He's with us 24-7. He's with us all the time, constantly, on every occasion. And that should be a great encouragement to us when we feel weak, when we feel abandoned, when we feel inadequate for the tasks that the Lord might have given us to do. It's a great comfort to us when we feel lonely, when we feel misunderstood, when we feel forsaken or abandoned by those around us. And many Christians do feel abandoned when they come to faith. They find that those who were their former friends don't want to be friends anymore. They turn their backs upon them. You know, they're a changed man, a changed woman. You go your way and we'll go our way. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the Lord's promise. And Moses, great man that he was, he must have quailed at the thought of going into the presence of Pharaoh, that great and mighty king who could have had Moses' life snuffed out in a moment. But the Lord said, I will be with you. And the great task of the church, the great commission that Jesus gives us at the end of Matthew's gospel to go out into all the world and to make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I will, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
And there surely lies our confidence and our strength, the fact that we live and that we serve in the presence of our Master, in the presence of our Captain General. It means that he will guide us. It means that he will open doors and other doors he will close. It means he will break up the ground ahead of us. He will clear away the obstacles. Yet I am always with you. We read in Psalm 73, you hold me by my right hand. Uh, a woman I knew many, many years ago, she uh, had a vision. She came to face um, in, a, in a cupboard, funnily enough. It was in a hospital and she'd been told by the matron to go and get a shroud. And uh, she, I won't give you the details, but when she was in the cupboard, she'd heard the gospel. There was a godly man in the hospital who had spoken to her often about Jesus and when she was in that cupboard she prayed that the Lord would strengthen her and she had a vision she told me she had a vision of a hand and I, curiously she said it was a left hand it wasn't a right hand it was a left hand and I often pondered it and when I took that lady's funeral uh, it occurred to me right here in Psalm 73 you hold me by my right hand. You see, if God is holding me by my right hand, then it's his left hand that he puts out to take hold of mine. And that's a great strength to us, isn't it? To know that God is with us. He's holding us by the hand. So that's the first point, a brief point, but nevertheless a very, very important point, that God is with us, his presence with us. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's not on the outside, he's not on the periphery, he's right there in the heart of his people in their midst. And the second thing is God's power, a mighty one who will save. When we look back through biblical history, but for God's grace, we would know virtually nothing about the people of Israel. They would have ended up like the Hittites, like the Ammonites, like all the other uh, peoples who flourished at that time, who built mighty cities, who created huge and powerful empires. But where are they today? They're all lost in the sands of time. They're just names in the Old Testament. But the Lord's people, the Lord's people were taken into captivity their capital city was destroyed. Their temple was uh, destroyed. And the people themselves must have thought that they had no future. But God came with power. A, a mighty one who will save. A God came with power. And he brought them back and he reestablished them in the land of promise. The land that he had promised their forefathers that they would occupy forever. The land flowing with milk and honey and for God's people in exile the thought of a being restored the prospect of national restoration must have seemed like a dream but as Jesus says with God all things are possible and we must never forget that in these dark spiritual days with God all things are possible God brought down their captives. He liberated the captives and he brought them back home. In Isaiah 40, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. And then in Psalm 126, when Zion's bondage, God turned back. It was God who turned it back. As men who dreamed were we, and filled with laughter was our mouth, our tongue with melody. 
They mung the heathen said, The Lord great things for them has wrought. The Lord has done great things for us when joy to us is brought. So God saved them, not because there was anything special about them. They were just the same as us, but they were his people. They were his covenant people to whom he had committed himself to a loving, to an everlasting relationship. He saved them because of his love for them. And he saved them because his love would be channeled towards you and I at a future date through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in great God's great plan, you can go right back to the very beginning of Scripture where God promised that a, the, the, the one who had, um, who had led Eve astray and that one would come, one who would be a distant descendant and he would bruise the head of the serpent. The first evangelical promise and then we see all the promises in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus to come and redeem and save and rescue his people. Jesus who by his death on the cross would break the power of sin and the power of death. God's power unleashed with the benefit of his people. He saves them, he sustains them, he protects them, he brings them safely through the storms of life into the safe haven on the far shore. I meet some people and they say, well, I, I'm too bad to be saved. I've done terrible things that I'm ashamed of and, and uh, God simply wouldn't save a person like me. But that is to underestimate the power of God and the, the willingness of God if God parted the Red Sea and the Jordan, can he not save even the most hardened of sinners? And the answer is yes, of course, he can. I am not ashamed of the gospel, writes Paul, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes without exception. And I wonder, have you gathered here this morning, have you experienced the power of God at work in your life? taking away your heart of stone and giving you instead a heart of flesh to trust in Jesus. And then when a sinner comes to salvation, can God's power not keep that person from slipping back into the world? Because the devil will try, use every ploy he can to draw us back into the world. Well, of course it can. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. They're the safest place in the entire universe, the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, the nail-scarred hand of Jesus, and that's where he keeps his people safe. Jesus is the author of his people's faith, but he's also the finisher, the perfecter, the work he began, he will bring to completion. So God is not only with us as a companion, he's not only there as an encourager or an onlooker, he's there to unleash his power on our behalf. The Lord of hosts is at our side, and that being so, we need fear no one and nothing. Psalm 18, I love that Psalm. With your help, I can advance against a troop with my God I can scale a wall. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. At the tender age of 57, I set off 
to cycle with a lot of other people from the north coast of Ireland to the south coast to raise funds for open doors and uh, every morning we began with prayer the person who was kind of organizing it he would ask an individual to say a word of prayer and there was one day where we had the prospect of cycling 70 miles I'd never done more than 30 uh, in the past and it wasn't just flat but it was very very hilly and uh, I prayed and uh, uh, the words from Psalm 18 came to mind. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. And so we got through the 70 miles with sore legs, of course. So God's presence, the Lord your God is in your midst. God's power, a mighty one who will save. And finally, God's pleasure. God's pleasure. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Never underestimate the pleasure that God takes in you if you are one of his people today. You are the apple of his eye. He will take delight in you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. As we read in Isaiah 62, so your God will rejoice over you. And not only that, but he does so with singing in Psalm 32. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. God takes no pleasure in people who are disobedient. He doesn't rejoice over those who refuse to bend the knee to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not sing over those who see no beauty in Jesus, who is altogether lovely, as we read in the Song of Songs. His pleasure is expressed over those who do see the loveliness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes pleasure over those who do respond in love to his love. We love right John because he first loved us and we and those who are obedient to him. God rejoices, Jesus says this, God rejoices in the presence of the angels over everyone who repents of their sins. No parent delights in a wayward son or a wayward daughter, and neither does our Heavenly Father delight in a disobedient child if you obey my commands says Jesus you will remain in my love if you love me keep my commandments and you know God's greatest delight is in his son and so often we read in the New Testament epistles that the Christian is in Christ we're in Christ and so when God looks at his son and when he rejoices over his son He's not just seeing his son, he's seeing you and I also, God's people. He will quiet you with his love. Isn't that a lovely, beautiful picture? God the Father calming and soothing his children with songs of love. When my first son was born, sometimes it was a bit difficult getting him to sleep at night. And uh, there were more than one occasion where we put him in the pram. Ten o'clock at night, I'd be walking along pushing the pram and, and singing to him. We lived in a little village called Balmedi, north of Aberdeen, and I'm pushing the pram along and I'm singing to him. And uh, I remember one occasion this police car came past and they were looking at me with great suspicion what was in the pram. But I'm glad to say they just carried on by. They probably thought, oh, it's just a doting father singing songs of love to his young child. 
So, you know, this all speaks not of religion. It, it all speaks of of relationship, a loving relationship, a trusting relationship, a permanent relationship. And so at the end of the day, God's presence, God's power, and God's uh, pleasure. Not religion, but relationship. Not ritual, but love. The love of a father for his children. And that's what the Christian enjoys 24-7. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, says John. He didn't just give us a bit of love, a little bit. He's lavished it upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, writes John in chapter 3 of his first epistle. And finally, may we know that abiding presence. May we serve him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we be found obedient to his commands and bask in his amazing love for us, a love we cannot earn and do not deserve, but which nevertheless he lavishes upon us. May we live as God's beloved children. Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to these thoughts and meditations on his word. Shall we pray? Ever blessed and eternal God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these gems that we find hidden away in parts of the Old Testament that would be so easy to bypass and overlook. But they are like nuggets that gleam, O Lord, in the darkness and help us always to remember that what we have in you is something wonderful, something that mere words cannot express. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your power unleashed on behalf of your children. And we thank you that you sing over us because you take pleasure in us. Forgive us, Lord, for anything said this morning, this afternoon, that's not in conformity with your word. And may the glory be yours and the blessings ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We conclude by singing in the Psalter, Psalm 73. Psalm 73 from verse 23. Nevertheless, continually, O Lord, I am with thee. Thou dost me hold by my right hand, and still upholdest me. Thou with thy counsel while I live, wilt me conduct and guide, and to thy glory afterward receive me to abide. Psalm 73 from the Psalter. Nevertheless, continually.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, one God, rest and remain with you all, now and forever.